Thank you for the precious promise that once we are in Christ, we are new creatures. Old things have passed away and all has become brand new. Thank you, Father, for the promise through your son Jesus who reminded us that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father except they come through him. Thank you, Jesus, for making a way for us to make it over. We thank you for this time of worship this morning. And now, as an act of worship, we come to study your word. Father, would you open our eyes today? Would you breathe on us? Would you illuminate our hearts and our minds that we may hear what your spirit has to say to the church? Bless our preacher, helping the preaching word today. Lord, would you give him preaching power and preaching permission that preaching may be done. And in the end thereof, we'll be mindful to give you all the glory, give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, we pray. And all God's children said, Amen and Amen. Let's give God some praise. Amen. While you're standing, would you open your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. I want to welcome our visitors to the New Beginnings Community Baptist Church. We are an expository teaching and preaching church. And we believe in preaching through the entire book of the Bible, books and chapters at a time, comma by comma and line by line. We know that you could have been in either one of 500 churches in the greater Fresno area, but today you are with us. We don't take your presence lightly. So thank you, visitors, for joining us and being on the Bible bus this morning. Yes, sir. And if you pray, I'm sure you'll hear some preaching. Amen. 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 2 Samuel 11, verses 1 through 4. Uh, my disclaimer, it's been over eight weeks since I preached from my own pulpit. So I'm a little rusty this morning. I'm a little rusty, but say amen, and I'll push my way through. One son say, you ain't rusty. Another one say, shake it off, Dad. Shake it off. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1 through 4. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that Joab, or rather that David, sent Joab, and his servants with him, and all of Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon, and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. And then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, and he walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Oh my. <laughs> and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Oh my. So David sent and inquired about the woman. 
Y'all ready? There it is. Oh my. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Elia, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then, that's right, oh my. Then David sent messengers and took her. Yeah. And she came to him and lay with her, and he lay with her. For she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I'm going to begin a four-week series today, and I want to title it, The Chronicles of David, The Temptation of Leadership, Laziness, and Lust. The Temptation of Leadership, Laziness, and lust. Look at somebody next to you. Tell them, neighbor. neighbor. My pastor won't talk to you today. He's going to talk about leadership, laziness, and lust. Amen. You may be seated. New beginnings. One of the greatest stories in all of the scripture is found in our reading on today. For this text is the story of a great man who fell in his leadership position because of his lust for another man's wife. David and Bathsheba is one of those narratives that unveils the sinfulness of two people who ultimately destroyed themselves and others who are connected to them. This lesson is about life and the inability to think about the consequences of one's sins against God, against each other, and even against themselves. Our subject, brothers, this morning is to turn the light on our hidden desires and to expose the greatest enemy ever known to man. That's the temptation of your own fallen nature. See, this text is about spiritual warfare, Brother Jeffrey, in the life of a godly man. It's about his own battle with the war on the inside. So the listener this morning should see themselves as David and learn from his mistakes in his ministry of leadership on the earth. Uh, one should not come to this text and say, this could never happen to me. But rather, wisely, they should consider their own appetites for sin yes, and develop the spiritual posture of prayer Amen. and resistance in the time of temptation. Yes, That's good. That's good. Can I give you some more? Yes. The background of our text teaches us that we should all remember that when we read this text, David was not a passionate youth at the time of this story, but he's a full-grown man. Yes. 
He's a man who had reached Brother Tommy middle age. He should have knew better. There are five things that arrest me. That teaches me why David fell into sin. Number one, he got self-confident. After enjoying a season of victory and prosperity. Number two, he was disobedient because he stayed at home when he should have been going to battle. Number three, the reason why he fell into sin, he was idle. He was lying in his bed at evening time. Means that he'd been in bed all day. Number four, the reason why he fell in sin, he was self-indulgent, giving over to his freedoms, or rather giving, giving freedom to his desires when he should have been disciplining himself. And number five, the reason why he fell, he was careless. He allowed his eyes to wander, to yield to the lust of the flesh and ultimately the lust of the eye. The Christian can learn from this church, this text, Brother Darius, that as the soldiers of God, we must never lay aside our armor for battle. You don't get a season where you can have a vacation. There's always an enemy lurking to take you out. Ask your neighbor, are you going to listen to him anymore? Are you going to When we read this narrative, Brother Branch, we can also learn from that great saint of yesterday, Apostle James, who wrote us in that letter, the book of James, let no one say when he is tempted that I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted, nor does God himself tempt anybody. But everyone is tempted when they're drawn away by their own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And then sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. God won't tempt you. He'll test you. But he'll never tempt you. I can learn four things about David's case. Number one, I learned that his desires were activated by his sight. And his sight caused him to fail from his morality. Two, I learned, his desire, once it was conceived, conceived the sin in his imagination. He desired it long enough until he could visualize himself doing it. Number three, his will surrendered to his desire. And that led to his sin. And the number four, his actions ultimately led to death. Reminded in Matthew 26, he didn't watch and pray in a season of war. Matthew 5, 29 tells us to deal with your wandering eye. He wasn't disciplined enough to deal with his own sinful desires. We can learn from this text that David could have defeated this temptation by recalling God's word or by considering that Bathsheba was another man's wife. As you read this text, you can also discover that the woman, she ain't innocent. (laughs) 
She shared in this act of adultery. David could have escaped the tragedy, but instead he chose to live in the moment by the flesh and ignore the cry of the spirit to do what was right in the Lord's eye. I got a question for you here. Is there anybody here this morning that's ever been in David's shoes? Come on, I know you look good. I know you just finished taking communion. Amen. But is there anybody here this morning ever experienced this form of pain in your life? Can anybody here recognize the danger that David was in? Then I wish you'd testify and tell somebody, don't go down that road. There are three things I want to wrestle with in this text this morning, Pastor Cochran, and I believe they'll help somebody to learn from David's mistakes and benefit from the mistakes and the misery he had to endure. Number one, the first thing I want to talk about is David's lapse in leadership. The second thing I want to talk about is David's laziness as a leader. And then the third thing, and I'll land the planes, David's late evening lust. David's lapse in leadership, David's laziness as a leader, and then David's late evening lust. Y'all gonna help me unpack it? Come on, I mean that. Y'all gonna help me preach today? Then keep your Bibles open with me and let's look at verse 1 and unpack it. David's lapse in leadership. The text says, it happened. Now that's loaded right there. It happened in the spring of the year. But then he says, at the time when kings go out to battle. That David sent Joab and his servants and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon. And they besieged Rabbah. But David, you should circle those two words. But David remained at Jerusalem. Can I work right here, family? When we arrive at this portion of the text, we find that it's the season of leadership for every king in the Middle Eastern region. Every king is working. Every king is on the move. Every king has a kingdom that needs tending to. It's wartime. Battles are raging. And kings are needed to give direction to their subjects in battle. But we learn from this short verse that David as a king is also a leader. And as a leader, he's responsible for what happens to others. And as a leader, he has duties, Brother Reuben, that must be paid attention to. He is to manage what God has made him an overseer of. But in his lapse of leadership, in one of the most critical times of the season, instead of leading, he assigns his duties to somebody else to lead. Okay, let me say it another way. It's wartime, but the warrior ain't fighting. Right, right. He's not suited up. He's not on the front lines. 
In fact, he's missing in battle. He's not on the throne, but he's still king. His mind is not on his assignment. He's gotten distracted by life. And his leadership will soon be on the line and tested with temptation. Right, right. Here's the application. Every child of God is a leader of their own lives. Can I get a witness right there? Every believer is responsible for themselves and their witness in the community. God has entrusted every one of us with a gift to use in this body and a calling to live out for him in this earth. Now, just like David, we ought to live out this calling in the middle of spiritual warfare. Are you listening? There's a war taking place right now with the enemy of our souls. The war is between the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we are called by God in the midst of this war to follow him. We We are also thrust in our leadership in the midst of this battle. And while we are there, we have to all manage what God has given to us and made us a steward over. Can I say some more? And just like David family, we are responsible for what he's given us and we must not abdicate our spiritual leadership over to another person. To do our job for us. As a believer, we must fight against the lapse of leadership in our lives. Here it is. In David's lapse in leadership, he did the following things. One, David sent somebody else in his place to go and fight for him. David sent somebody else to engage the enemy instead of engaging him himself. David sent somebody else to handle his assignment. David sent somebody else to do what he should have done himself. This is the first sign of trouble in the text, y'all. This is where your failure in ministry can start. When you start to ignore the seasons of life, you will experience a lapse in your spiritual leadership. Okay, let me see if I can make it live. When you start to make light of the battle, right. your leadership is in trouble. Yes, sir. When, when you no longer are interested in defeating the enemy of your soul, and or you believe that you have arrived. You're too holy to fall in that sin. You better watch yourself. David in this text has experienced some victories over a few enemies and therefore thought he had battles under his control. He had lost a grip on reality. See, the fool that believes they have made it is the one that will fall. Y'all gonna help me preach. Because he had been relatively successful in his territory in chapters 8, 9, and 10, he thought he could rest from his labors. Instead of him going to battle, he sent somebody else and stayed behind and did nothing worthy of being a king warrior. 
David sent Joab, his servants with him, and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon. And they besieged Rabbah. You see the victory there? Yeah. Then the text says, but David remained at Jerusalem. Did you catch it? Did you see where it went wrong? Did you see where his leadership lapsed? Did you see from the text where he made his first mistake? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Here it is. Three words. He quit leading. He quit leading. He quit leading. He quit leading. Let somebody else do his job. And this caused him to become something that he wasn't used to being, a lazy leader. Right. That's right. Yeah. Let me give you some application. That this is a dangerous mindset for the believer. See, when we start to think we don't need to fight for the faith, we on dangerous grounds. Daughter Rose, when we start to think we can lay back and let somebody else pray for our children, we on dangerous grounds. When we start to believe we don't need to read the Bible that much, we on dangerous ground. And we start to think we can miss a few Bible classes and it won't affect us that much. We on dangerous ground. When we start to get indifferent about spiritual battles and spiritual things, we on dangerous. Can I say some more? When the husband stops leading his family and leaves everything for the wife to do, the family is on dangerous ground. When the wife despises her husband and believes he's insignificant, their home is on dangerous ground. When children disrespect their parents and curse the earth they walk on, the family is on dangerous ground. When the family stops praying together, loving one another, serving one another, the entire family structure is on dangerous ground. I feel like preaching today. David's leadership is in a bad place, and he don't even see it coming. No, sir. No, sir. That's good. Just because he had a little success. Just because he won a few victories. Yeah, the hit song went to his head, right? He's gotten casual in his warfare. He doesn't even see it, but a huge fight is right around the corner. And watch this, the enemy ain't on the outside. The enemy is on the inside. Y'all gonna help me today? Remember family, no believer can afford to have a spiritual lapse in your leadership. There is a war taking place. The story is told by a preacher by the name of Stuart Anderson who once preached in England. He told the story about the great Englishman who went over the Niagara Falls in a barrel. He says that in his great uh, temptation to go over Niagara Falls, he did it without suffering serious harm. But one day, walking down the street in New York, he slipped and fell on an orange peel. And fractured his leg. He said, little as it was, it was significant enough to injure him for life. 
this is what Morgan was getting at in this text. He says, look, don't let your spiritual leadership last because it might not be the big temptation that hurts you. It may be the little one that messes you up for life. I've talked about David's lapse in leadership. Let me give you my second point, David's laziness as a leader. Tell them they, they might be talking about you, so write this down. Write this down. The text says, but David remained at Jerusalem. Then verse 2, and then it happened. He should circle those three words. One evening that David arose from his bed and he walked on the roof of the king's house. Now these next two small sentences, 1B in verse 2, are loaded with what I call, Sister Wilson, repercussions. Mm -hmm. See, it screams to us that something is wrong with King David. Right. His army is out fighting, his men are winning, but he's missing from leading in the victories. David is missing from the battle because David is at home in bed. He's home in bed and it's evening time when he awakes. Okay, let me say it another way. He's sleeping all day. Can you see the picture? His men are at war, but he's at home lounging in his comforts. His kingdom needs defending, but he's asleep in the palace. His subjects are depending on him to lead them, but he's too lazy to get up Go and lead, protect and serve, govern and care, for he thinks he has a season to rest. Here it is. Laziness has captured the king. Can I tell you something, family? The lazy leader is a useless leader. The lazy leader is a dull leader. Yeah. Brother Isaac, the lazy leader is a horrible leader, son. Uh -huh. The lazy leader is easy prey for the tempter. Yes, yeah. Don't get mad at me, but stay with me, y'all. The lazy leader walks into trouble with his eyes wide open because they are not disciplined enough to prepare for the undiscerned. Because David was not at war when he should have been, he got too relaxed within himself, within his environment, within his desires, Andrew, and within his time. And according to the text, he's sleeping all day and didn't even get out of bed until it was evening. He was living the life of a lazy king. I'm talking about a lot of American believers right there. Can I run the application for you? If the believer does not live the life of a disciplined person, laziness will make you sleep too long. Laziness will make you sleep on your assignment. It'll make you sleep on your relationships. It'll make you take people for granted. Like they'll always just be there. Your, your, your things to do list. 
won't get done. Your ministry obligations will be forsaken because laziness has got you in a headlock. Look, laziness will make you embrace sleeping when you should be at war with the enemies of your soul. Can I say some more? I got some more. Can I say some more? Laziness as a leader will cause you to mess up really bad and mess up people really bad. Sleeping on your assignment as a believer will cause you to be unprepared when the temptation of your soul arises. Here it is, Greer. Sleeping too much on your faith will cause you to lean on the flesh. Trust in the flesh. Walk in the flesh. And obey its commands and desires. I heard Paul tell me, wake up, oh sleeper. The flesh means you no good. Look, if you and I, yeah, if you and I would kiss being a lazy leader goodbye, we could get something done on earth. A lot, a lot, a lot. That's the truth. If I were you, I'd get my flesh in subjection. And I wouldn't allow it to mislead me or guide me into a lifestyle of laziness. Let me, let me give you an observation. When I look real good at this text, one could say about David that it was the flesh that put him to sleep and it was the flesh that made him sleep all day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The Bible says then it happened. What happened? One evening that David arose from the bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. The text is telling you and I that it happened one evening. It's implying that the time of the flesh to strike was right. See, it's not just saying this just happened one evening. It was the season of war. He didn't go to war that season. So he slept and stayed in the bed all day. And the longer he stayed in the bed, the more apropos he became to surrender to the flesh. And then finally, when he was in total surrender to the flesh, it woke up and wanted something else. Oh, y'all, come on, a blind man can see that. He made a pattern of sleeping too late in the evening. He made a pattern of lounging and laziness. He made a practice of neglecting his responsibilities, living carnally, rejecting his duties as king, and he hadn't gone to war in a long time. And because of this inability to discipline himself, when David wakes up in the evening, his flesh is hungry from his restlessness. I'm trying not to use too many synonyms in this. I don't want to tell your business, but I'm just saying. Two words. It happened. It wasn't planned on happening, but it happened. 
What happened? Here it is. Sin crept into the heart. Sin crept into the mind. Sin crept into the soul. And when it crept in, it happened. Lust happened. Lust appeared. Lust took him to the movies. Lust danced a jig on the rooftop of his desires. And David became a passenger on the shipwreck of sin. The text says that his eyes were wandering over the kingdom. Seeing what was pleasing to them to look at. We call this in Bible language the lust of the eyes. And his desires, here it is, enticed his flesh. So that his lust gave way to another lust. Right. The lust of the flesh. Now that took me all week to get. One lust led to the next lust. Okay, all right, all right. He saw something and he looked, and that lust led to another lust. Come on, just my lust got cousins. Lust got cousins. And, and now his appetite is wide open for entertainment. Can, can I tell you that these two lusts are different from each other? Yes, sir. See, one of them makes you want what you see, but you know you can't have. The other makes you want what your body and heart longs for, but's forbidden. One of them, yeah, makes you want what you see, but you know you can't have. But the next one makes you want and desire it to fulfill it, to fill it, to taste it. Y'all with me here? Which you know you shouldn't have. And the two are different and distinct. But when they collide together, you end up with an overwhelming sensation egged on by temptation. And that's hard for any believer to flee from. Or to reject. That's where David is. That's where his trouble comes from. Listen, whenever the Christian has taken a break from spiritual things for a season, and his or her appetite for carnal things comes alive, this is what it looks like. Whenever the believer, Brother Ed, is away from the disciplines of fasting, prayer, witnessing, Worship, service, giving, sacrificing, and proclaiming the things of God. The flesh will always try to satisfy itself. This is what it looks like. I heard, I heard a preacher say, uh, the believer is like a dog in a fight. Yeah, like a dog in a fight. As long as he is fulfilled in the things of God, he'll attack the enemy. Right. But when you don't feed him, he's vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. 
That makes sense right there? So it is with you. As long as you are fasting and praying and in the word. Spending time in worship. Leading in your home and in the ministries God have you. You got a better chance of whooping the enemy. But it's when you go on vacation. You ain't read your Bible in a long time. In fact, you left it at home today. You don't know when the last time you've been to church or Bible class. You don't know when the last time you knelt by the side of the bed. You are a great candidate for the lust twins to show up in your life. Tell somebody he's just talking about what he's talking about. That's Here it is, since you can't say amen. That's where David is. He's in a season of distractions. And now his eyes are wandering. And they are desiring what they see. Here it is. According to the text, the Bible says, and from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was beautiful to behold. When you come to this portion of the text, we see what happens when the flesh sees what's enticing. Three things happen, Reverend Tong. I wrote this down. Three things happen. Number one, the flesh names it, frames it, and claims it. He saw from the roof, named it, framed it, and then claimed it. Three things happen in this verse. Number one, David sees that she's beautiful. Watch this. But he stares too long. And he ends up, Maria, longing for this woman. Number two, David sees that she's taking a bath and frames the image in his head. In other words, Reverend Mason, he starts to imagine what it would be like to bathe with her. He looked too long. Number three, David sees and David desires her. Because she's beautiful, Montreal. She was good to look at. And so he watched. And he watched. And he watched. And he watched. Too long. Y'all in here? This is a dangerous moment in the life of the king. His leadership of the kingdom is on the line. The leadership of his family is on the line. And his laziness has caused him to sleep too long, walk on the roof too long, stare at a bathing woman too long, and now he's in a battle with the flesh because he didn't go to war and do what the Lord had called him to do. David is desiring the flesh, allowing his eyes, Brother Tony, to wander and yield to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Here it is. When the believer gazes too long at that which is forbidden, daughter Tanya, deceit and temptation can entice the child of God to sin against God. When the believer fails to flee 
from the temptation of the flesh. Disaster is always waiting to devour the disciple. Yeah, yeah. Uh, help me, Holy Ghost, to preach it all today. When the believer fails to escape temptation, the consequences are always more than one is willing to pay. Right, right. Here it is. Let me let me hammer this again because I might not get to come through here again. David slept too long on his bed. He walked too long on the roof. He watched her babe too long. And his flesh got the best of him. Is there anybody here this morning ever looked too long? Thank you for being honest, Reverend. Look at all these people over here looking at mine. That's why we know you're guilty. Because you won't testify. Why you got the time? Say, tell the truth and stay in the Baptist church. <laughs> Is anybody here this morning can remember the pain that that thing cost you? Because you wouldn't let it go. Is anybody here that knows what David is going through? I got a few. Now they're coming out. Okay, now they're. Is there anybody here that stayed too long? Played too long? Entertained too long? And paid the price for ignoring the warning? You know, it's funny, they start looking down. That's what I love about the Bible. It's so real. The story is told by this brother named Leslie who told the story about his dad. He said his dad had a dog. And his dad was training the dog to be disciplined. So the dad would take a biscuit and he would put some meat on the biscuit. And he'd put it in front of the dog and he would say to the dog, BJ, no! And the dog trained himself to not look at the biscuit and the meat. Right. In order to escape the temptation of going after him, he looked at the master. And there's a lesson right there. When temptation is in front of you like a biscuit and some meat, when your flesh is hungry, don't look at the temptation. Keep your eyes on the Right David could have made it had he got off that roof and kept his eyes on the master. But he didn't. He looked at the biscuit. That's either two things wrong with you right there. Number one, if you can't laugh, you ain't got no sense of humor. Number two, you just had a biscuit last night. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I'm just talking about what I'm talking about. This text is incredible. I've talked to you about David's lapse in leadership. I've talked to you about David's laziness in leadership. 
Let me land the plane by talking about David's late night lust. The text says in verse 3, so David, he sent and inquired. You should circle those three. Inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house. Family, when we come to the last two verses of this text, we see what I call as a very, very sad sight. Tonton, the king, not only saw the woman, but he inquired about her. Here it is. He did his homework. He wanted to know who she was, who she belonged to, and what her heritage was. Here it is. Lust Reverend White had captured his heart. And now sin was in full play. And David in his flesh is following the desires of his flesh. Here it is. David, after research, discovers that she's married. But it still don't stop his lust. David, after research, knows she's married to a soldier in his army. But it still don't stop his lust. Okay, let me run that rap. David, after knowing she's married, knowing she's married to his soldier, and he knows the husband. The husband works for him. But it still don't stop his lust. David, after research, discovers that she's the granddaughter of one of his advisors. Here it is. His board member. His trusted friend. But it still don't stop his lust. David already's got three wives and all the sex you can have in a week. But it still don't stop his lust. Can I tell you, lust is a powerful thing? Beware of the wickedness of lust. Beware of the power that it possesses. Be careful not to lust for things. Power, position, or prominence. Lust will make you do what you never thought you would do. Yes, sir. The second thing I notice in this text is that Bathsheba ain't totally innocent. I've been waiting to get here. (laughs) The text says he sent messengers and they took her. And don't forget this, four words. She came to him. And then he lay with her. Okay, can I unpack it? This is an interesting discovery because the text is silent on what the messengers told her when they arrived. Are you with me here? So therefore, you can't make it up. You got to what? Look it up. So what did they say 
Bathsheba, wife of Uriah. They can only say what the king had already done. The king saw you, girl, taking a bath tonight. <laughs> While he was walking on the roof. And he'd like for you to come over to the palace and spend some time with him. Don't make it up. It's in there, am I right? And the Bible says she went. There it is. She came to him. Now, came to him what, Pastor? Knowing what he wanted. Knowing what he saw. Knowing what his motive was. Knowing what and who he was. And she didn't resist. I'm in the text. Can I say some more? Here it is. Now I can use my sanctified imagination. I got green light now. She didn't say, my husband is not here, so I can't come. She didn't say, it's not appropriate for me to see the king without my man. She didn't say, can I come when my husband get back from war? She, she didn't, Pastor Parker. She didn't make any excuses. No, the Bible says she came to him. After she knew he saw her bathing on the roof. Bathsheba was not innocent. I don't care what the contemporary theologians try to say. David was not that kind of king. One where he would take a woman. Are you with me here? No, that wasn't him. Bathsheba wasn't innocent. That's what the text is saying. And she was not a victim. Here it is. She was a sinner who was willing to entertain the king in his residence at his summons while her husband was away at war. That's who Bathsheba was. All right, all right. Some of y'all know her, so let me keep going. Bathsheba was struggling in her own leadership in her house. Bathsheba was a lazy wife who didn't protect her marriage. She got lazy with her vows. She got lazy with her covenant in marriage. She got lazy in her love for the head of her family. And when she got lazy in her leadership, lust made her long for the company of another man. Can I say some more? Loneliness will make you do some stupid stuff. I think, I think, I think that curiosity made her wonder. And she might have said, if the king saw me naked and wants to see me, then I need to be ready to do whatever his majesty want me to do. Remember, David saw her. She didn't see him looking, but now she's willing to come at his request. After knowing he was looking and after being summoned to the palace, she knows she married. She know her man is at war. But secretly she got eyes for David. Here it is. Lust made her imagine. Just like it made David imagine. And the text says again, she came to him. 
Now, you'd be lying if you tell me you don't have no imagination. Because everybody in here likes what looks good to the eye. Okay, here I go. You, 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 you can just say amen all together corporately so your wife or husband won't think you're talking about them. Well, you've all had those strange dreams. Lord. And you ain't dreaming about the one you're sleeping next to. And you wake up and shake yourself like, where did that come Imagine. Come on, talk to me. Y'all all been driving down the street and look too long. Okay, I'm going to find it. I'm coming down the road. You all been channel surfing. And the remote gets stuck. And you look too long. Some of you been on the internet. And the pop-up came up. And it stayed up. Too long. And all it takes is a glance to ignite the imagination. Okay, to the older people here, you ain't always been old. Come on, talk to the young people. Talk. Don't let the play that fool you. I might can't move it like I used to, but my mind is still good. I'm off my script now, but I was talking to an old preacher one time. We were having breakfast, and, and some pretty girls walked in the restaurant, and we were eating, and he hit me. He hit me under the table, and he started laughing. He did like that, and I looked up, and he said, One day, son, you're going to just get to enjoy the parade. <laughs> that messed me up for a moment. But I understood what he was talking about. Yeah. I'm old, but my eyes still work. <laughs> Parenthetically, can I park the car right there? Yeah. Ladies, that's why you gotta help men. Yes. We're visual. Yeah. You help us control our lust by keeping your clothes on. Yes. Don't come in worship with your girls all out. Some of us can't handle that. Now we all messed up all day. Can't even hear Reverend. Because you shout. And when lust took control, 
David and Bathsheba were fully submitted to the desires of their flesh and that committed the act of adultery. Here it is. He inquired and she submitted. They were both guilty. They committed adultery together. Here it is. It still takes two to tango. Well, I got to leave you now. But the text was so graphic that the text talked about her saying these words in verse 4. The text said, 2 Samuel 11, verse 4. David sent the messengers and took her. She came to him and he lay with her. Watch this. For she was cleansed. You see that? From her impurity. And she returned to the house. Now why did the writer put that there? He wants you to know that the season of her cycle had ended. And it made her ready, fertile for pregnancy. Now you got to come back next week to get the rest of that. But in her own lust, she forgot about the season that her body was in. Her lust took her so far, she forgot about the vow to her husband Come on, talk to me. And her lust was so far out of control, she didn't even consider the risk. And David was like Jamie Foxx. He said, I'm a real brother. We don't pull out. Amen. I ain't telling y'all nothing you don't know. Sin conceived and brought forth a baby out of wedlock. Broke the covenant. Are you with me here? That was not God's plan for Bathsheba and not God's plan for David. Can I tell somebody today? Your lust will destroy you if you don't get a hold of that thing. Can I tell you that your lust for what's not yours will make you do things you never thought you'd do? Here we get to see that lust, when it's out of control, will destroy the bonds of marriage. Lust, when it's out of control, will betray the vows of a covenant relationship. Lust, when it's out of control, will make a woman betray her husband and a husband betray his wife. Beware of lust, family. Beware of its power. Beware of its dangerous deceit and its poisonous propositions. They both thought nobody would know. They both thought Uriah would never find out. They both thought this one-time fling was just between them two. They both thought they could not get caught. And they both thought nobody saw them, but I stopped by to serve you notice God's sorrow and elected for the consequences 
to follow their behavior. The story is told about the spider, or rather the Satan spiders that dwell in the Amazon River. This type of spider is said to be colorful and beautiful. And when it spreads itself out on the rocks in the Amazon, it looks like a brilliant flower. It's so deceptive that when bees and other insects land on it, poison secretes from the spider's back, killing its prey. And then they're able to devour it. Well, I told you that because that's just like lust. It looks beautiful on the outset. It looks like it's going to give you something sweet and tantalizing. But when you land on it, it's satanic in essence. And it always comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what happened in the life of David and Bathsheba. I got to close now. What a text, though. Isn't there something that adultery looks good for a season? Feels good while you're engaged in it. But in the end thereof, the covenant will always be destroyed. Uh, not only did they experience the killing of the covenant of marriage, but they experienced sin against God. Sin against themselves. Sin against their spouses and their families. And they experienced it not fully knowing what the cost would be. In just a few days when we come back, Bathsheba's got to send David an email. And the email is, guess what? We's pregnant. And from that email, David, instead of repenting, goes into more dastardly lies. A man is going to lose his life. The baby is going to die. And God's going to judge the kingdom. All because of a little lust that was out of control. I'm closing, but I want to leave you with this. Bathsheba cheated on her man, and she going to have to live with that. David cheated on his wives, and he going to have to live with that. Both of them rejected the word of the Lord, and the consequences that will come, they going to have to live with that. Can I tell you that? You're going to live with your consequences for rejecting God's word. I think I said that the wrong way. Let me ask the question. Is there anybody here living with some consequences today? God told me not to do something. And I did it and now I'm still paying the price. Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden. And the consequences of their rebellion against God was death cursed upon all mankind. 
And since that first sin, an act of rebellion, every man, woman, boy, and girl that's ever been born has been born wrong, born a sinner on their way to a burning hell. But thank God for Jesus who came to reverse the curse. I said, thank God for Jesus who came down from heaven as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Thank God for Jesus who went to an old rugged hill called Calvary. And out on Calvary, he died. Didn't he die? Died for every adulterer. He died. Died for all of my sins. Past, present, and future. Took my penalty upon himself. Because I couldn't pay the price for my own rebellion against God. Took his body down and placed him in a borrowed tomb. And inside of that tomb, he took the sting out of death. Got victory over the grave. And early Sunday morning. I said it was early Sunday morning. God the Father raised him back to life. So that I could get up from the dead. Because Jesus paid my price. Isn't that good news? I said, Isn't that good news? Now here's the thing, y'all. Jesus took the sting out of death and the victory over the grave. But my sins in this body still have consequences. Are you listening here? And those consequences are irreversible. It's like me getting back here and taking a full leap toward that wall. If I'm running with all that wall, y'all know that wall ain't moving. There's going to be some consequences for my action trying to get through that wall. Your sin is the same way. So stop it. I'm from the pastor right here. Lean in. Some of you stop it. Just because you don't see the consequences today. They're coming. They're irreversible. But how you stop them is you stop it. So you can have joy. Hey. There can be peace. That passes all understanding. I got to close right here. But I was closing my study and I ran across seven epigrams on temptation I thought I'd share with you. An epigram is a short, pithy statement. It's like half of a poem. Uh, but it's snappy enough to make sense. So you catch it. Number one, temptation, if not resisted, soon becomes a necessity. So believer, be aware. Number two, watch out for temptation. The more you see of it, the better it looks. So believer, be aware. Here it is. If you value your corn, pluck out your grass. Here's another one. Fewer speed records are broken when people run from temptation. Some of y'all catching it as we go. Maybe this one is for you. One half of the trouble of this life 
can be traced to saying yes too quick and not saying no soon enough. Here it is. It's easier to suppress the first desire than to satisfy all that follow it. Okay, if I didn't catch you with the other six, maybe seven is yours. He that labors is tempted by one devil, but he that is idle by a thousand. Church, say amen. amen. Pastor, there was no rust there. No. No doubt. Wow. Well, I think, uh, I think as Pastor said it, oh my. 